Welcome to U.S. Phenomenon, where possibilities are endless. Put down those same old headlines. It's time to expand your mind and question what if. From paranormal activity to UFOs, Bigfoot sightings, and unsolved mysteries, this is U.S. Phenomenon. From the Pacific Northwest in the shadow of the 1962 World's Fair, the Space Needle. Good evening. I am your host, Mario Magana. This is U.S. Phenomenon. If this is your first time here, we thank you for checking us out. If you're a returning friend, thank you for hanging out with us again. You can be part of the show by texting our studio hotline, 775-990-5151. Tonight, we look back at what took place 20 years ago on September 11th. Our special guest was working that day 20 years ago doing morning drive on our flagship station. Kirby Wilbur will share his story on that fatal day. Plus, we'll hear the story about the school teacher who saw the plane fly at a low level just before hitting one of the towers. Do you remember life pre 9-11? When you could walk your friends or family to the terminal airport. Maybe you were born after 9-11 and you don't know any different. If you have a story you would like to share, we're here tonight to listen to those stories. You can text us 775-990-5151 and we'll get to you as soon as we possibly can. Boston, Mass., Logan International Airport. September 11, 2001, American Airlines Flight 11, departing Logan International Airport for LAX, departing at 8 a.m. 15 minutes into the flight, the hijackers injured at least three people and forcibly breaching the cockpit and overpowering the captain and first officer. The first plane struck the North Tower of the World Trade Center at 8.46 and 40 seconds. United Airlines Flight 175 scheduled to depart Logan International Airport at 8 a.m. for LAX. Approximately 30 minutes into the flight, hijackers breached the cockpit, took control, which struck the South Tower at 9.03 just 17 minutes after the first plane struck. Washington Dulles, American Airlines Flight 77, departing for LAX at 8.20 a.m. Less than 35 minutes into the flight, the hijackers stormed the cockpit and forced the passengers to the rear of the plane. Some of the people on board the plane made calls to loved ones and relayed information on the hijacking. American Airlines would crash into the west side of the Pentagon at 9.37 a.m. United Airlines Flight 93 departing from Newark with the destination of San Francisco. United Flight 93 departed at 8.42. The time the hijackers took control cannot be determined Officials believe that at 9.28, 
the hijackers assaulted the captain and first officer, moving the passengers to the rear of the plane. Many passengers learned of the events going on rather than seek control of the plane. Many of the passengers then attempted to retake the plane from the hijackers. During the struggle, the hijackers deliberately crashed the plane into the field. In all, 2,977 dead, not including the 19 hijackers. 265 aboard all four planes. 2,606 in the World Trade Center. 125 were lost at the Pentagon. First responders we lost on 9-11. 343 firefighters from New York City. 37 police officers from Port Authorities of New York City and New Jersey. 23 police officers from New York City. Eight emergency technicians, three state court officers, one patrolman from New York Fire Patrol. Let's take a moment to honor those we lost on September 11th, 2001. We honor those that we lost that day, September 11th, 2001, 20 years ago. Where were you on September 11th, 2001? You can text us 775-990-5151. Our guest needs no introduction. He was working the morning of September 11th, 2001, as it all unfold, just like the rest of us who were alive then, right in front of our very own eyes. We saw this on network television, or maybe you were driving and you heard it, the replay on the radio. It is my honor to welcome Kirby Wilbur, to U.S. Phenomenon. Kirby? Mario, thanks for having me. I greatly appreciate it. You're a good friend. I, I appreciate Thank you for taking the time to hang out with us this evening. I know it's, um, it's interesting that we're doing a show on 9-11, and here we are 20 years later. Wow, things have changed, haven't they? It's... It, it's it's funny because we all talk about oh pre nine eleven pre nine eleven, but do you remember life pre nine eleven? I do. I remember being at the airport, having the family be able to come out the terminal to welcome me off the plane. Uh, I remember being able to get to the terminal with ten minutes to go and not having to wait through a very long security line. 
Uh, I remember a lot of pre-9-11 America that was better and different from, you know, what happened afterwards. 9-11 really did change our country in many ways. Although I could also argue, Mario, looking back up to 20 years, that it didn't change it in the right way. And, 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 and I, yeah, I mean, things definitely different, have a different feel in that regards, in regards to, um, you know, like I said earlier, you're, you're talking about a 20 year difference, you know, 23 year old reading a conspiracy book about things that were talking about what just had taken place on this day 20 years ago. And I'm right. thinking, oh my gosh, what is going on with the world? Right. The tragedy of 9-11 is, you know, still to this day blows my mind. I know there may be listeners out there that don't even remember 9-11, let alone as I sat there and, you know, turned on the TV that fatal day to think, wow, this is like Pearl Harbor for my generation or for many you know, who saw what was unfolding in, in front of their very eyes between the, the two planes hitting the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, the plane that went down in Pennsylvania. Now, I know that you were probably on the radio back then. Do you remember that day? That Oh, absolutely. It's stirred into my memory. I could never forget it, Mario. What was going through your mind at that point in time? I'm sure it's still fresh in your mind. I, I got on the air at five our time, which would have been eight New York time, um, about an hour before everything hit. And I remember going through show prep that morning. It was going to be a slow news day. Uh, you know, we I would spend several hours before going to the air going through other news stories. What would people want to talk about? What am I interested in? And I always remember thinking it was very um, slow news day. And then uh, roughly 10 minutes to six, which would have been 10 minutes, to eight, uh, uh, been 10 minutes to nine, New York time. Uh, Carlene Johnson, our news anchor, uh, came into, she was in a cubicle, or probably 10 feet from where I sat, to do the news, and then she would come in the studio at the top and bottom of the hour to give the news. Uh, she came in during a commercial break and said, hey, I just heard a story that a plane hit the World Trade Center in New York City. And I said, really? And the first thing I thought about, Mario, was, I'm a history geek, right? So back in 1945, a B-25 bomber hit the Empire State Building in New York right after World War II. And I thought it must be something like that. And so I went to the TV with a TV in the studio, so we could monitor TV news. And I went to Fox, and Fox didn't have anything on it yet. This was within just a minute or two of it happening. So I went CNN, and CNN had film footage of the building showing smoke coming out of it. And as I looked at it, I could see it was a clear blue sky day uh, and the day that um, the day that the B twenty five hit um, the Empire State Building had been really foggy and wintry, right? And so he, it was apparent to me that that wasn't the issue. It wasn't weather. It wasn't cloudy skies. And then when um, we continue watching the news stories, and there was speculation about what had happened, I thought, well, maybe you know, a pilot lost control of his private plane and crashed and had a heart attack. But the hole looked big enough that it was a very large plane. It was a gaping hole, yeah. So, um, Carlene and I kind of speculated during the news break, and then we came out of the news break, and I had to report, and we had Carlene on reporting this plane that hit. 
the World Trade Center. We didn't know why, we didn't know what, but we would go to the network at the top of the hour because they wouldn't have the coverage. Kirby, let's take a listen to Betty Ong, who was trying to alert the proper authorities. I'm listening in the back. Um, because it's not answering, somebody's stopped in business class. And um, I think there's mates that we can't breathe. I, I don't know. I think we're getting hijacked. Which flight are you on? Flight 12. And what seat are you at? Ma'am, are you there? Yes. What, what, what seat are you in? Ma'am, what seat are you in? We're, we just left Boston. We're up in the air. We're supposed to go to L.A. and the cockpit's not answering their phone. Okay, but what seat point. are you sitting in? What's the number of your seat? Okay, I'm in my jump seat right now. Okay. At 3R. Okay, you're the flight attendant? I'm sorry, did you say you're the flight attendant? Hello? Yes, hello? What is your name? Hi, are you, you're going to have to speak up. I can't hear you. Sure. What is your name? Okay, my name is Betty Ong. I'm number three on flight 11. Okay. And the cockpit is not answering their phone. And there's somebody staffed in business class, and there's, we can't breathe in business class. Somebody's got mates or something. Can you describe the person that you said someone is what in business class? Um, I'm, I'm sitting in the back. Somebody's coming back from business. If you can hold on for one second, they're coming back. Our number one is, got staffed. Uh, our person is staffed. Um, nobody knows who's staffed who, and we, we can't even get up to business class right now because nobody can breathe. Uh, our number one is, is staffed right now. Okay. And our number five, our first class passengers, our uh, first class uh, galley flight attendant, and our person is staffed. And we can't get up to the cockpit, which the door won't open. Hello? Yeah, I'm taking down all the information. We're also, um, you know, of course, recording this. Um, at this point... This is operations. What flight number are we talking about? Flight 12. Flight 12. Okay, no, we're on flight 11 right now. This is flight 11. It's flight 11. I'm sorry, Nitty. Boston to Los Angeles. Yes. Our number one has been stabbed, and our five has been stabbed. Can anybody get up to the cockpit? Can anybody get up to the cockpit? We can't even get into the cockpit. We don't know who's up there. Well, if they were shrewd, they would keep the door closed and... I'm sorry? Would they not mean the cockpit? I think the guys are up there. They might have gone their, their way up there or, or something. Nobody can call the cockpit. We can't even get inside. Is anybody still there? Yes, we're still here. Okay. I'm staying on the line as well. Okay. Hi, who is calling reservations? Is this one of the flight attendants or who? Who are you, hon? She gave her name as Betty Ong. Betty, I'm, I'm number three. I'm number three on this flight. And you're the number three, three on the flight? Yes. And this is flight 11. Somewhere to where? Have you guys called anyone else? No. Uh, somebody's calling medical and we can't get a stop. That was Betty Ong on flight 11. And that's probably when they lost the transmission. Kirby, uh, continue your story. And so we went network top of the hour, which was six or seven minutes from then. And then Colleen and I stayed in the studio watching the uh, live coverage. And at two minutes after six our time, two minutes after nine New York time, we saw the second plane hit. 
and we watched it live right there. And before that happened, Carlene had said, do you think we should call this terrorism? And I said, I don't think we can speculate. We should, we don't know what it is yet. It's tragedy, but we don't want to cause it. So let's not speculate on the air. Cause she was going to do the top of the hour local news break coming out about three minutes after the hour. And she wanted what she should lead with. And I said, well, we with plane crash, but don't call it terrorism. Well, when we saw the second plane hit, I looked at her and said, you can call it terrorism now. Kirby, let's listen to the eyewitness encounter of this teacher who saw Flight 11. I was in the habit in the morning of going down to the East River. I lived not far from there on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. So I went to the East River and I did my run and I was on my way back and this a plane went by really, really, really low, like in a strange pattern. And then I heard a huge explosion. And at first I didn't connect the huge explosion to the plane. I immediately thought a building had collapsed because there, I had actually seen buildings collapse and construction accidents and things like that. And then I was going towards my apartment and these women were running down the street from Delancey Street near the Williamsburg Bridge and they were yelling something and I caught part of what they were saying about an airplane in Delancey Street. So I thought, oh my God, that plane I just saw flying so low must have just crashed into Delancey Street. So I ran up to Delancey Street to see, and when I got to Delancey Street, what did I see? A clear view of the towers. I thought it was the most horrible accident you could imagine. Oh my God, a plane went off course and smashed into the towers. And I was just sort of like, then I, I ran back home to tell my son's father when we put on the news. And then I think we pretty much joined the rest of the world who sort of watched it unfold. The only difference was besides watching the incidents unfold um, on the news, we were also kind of running back and forth up to the roof to see what we saw. So we're seeing things and smelling things and sort of, you know, in the real world and then also seeing things like everybody did on, on the news. So of course we watched the second plane hit on the news and it was at that point that I'm like, this is no accident. And it, it was in that moment that you knew you were under attack and then everything changed about how you were thinking of it. In the past, I, I teach in different ways. I would share my story. I would share some artifacts that I have. I have a copy of the New York Times from the day after, which is, was not easy to get um, because the whole downtown area was shut down. There was no transportation. Trucks were not coming in and out. But a friend of mine walked up to Midtown and, and grabbed a paper from me. So I show that. I show pictures I took with my own camera uh, a few days afterwards. I had made a decision that year to get back to college, um, so I share that story with them um, about how the college got became the Rescue Command Center because it was right across the street from the towers. Also over the years we would read narrative excerpts. I think that's a very powerful way to present it in the classroom, narrative excerpts from survivors, from people who lost loved ones, um, people who were there that day, uh, what they saw, um, video clips. You have to be sensitive to the grade level. So, of course, you would approach it very differently with uh, younger kids. But it, 
It is a part of our American narrative now, and it's very important. I, I think it has to be taught every year around this time in some way. That is a teacher's firsthand experience of seeing what took place 20 years ago. Where were you on that day? September 11th, 2001. Were you on your way to work? Maybe you lived in New York. Maybe you assisted on the recovery. Maybe you were at the rubble after 9-11. Do you remember that smell? Many years ago, when I interviewed this young lady who lived down the street from the World Trade Center, and I can't find the interview for the life of me, she went down there to assist. She took up, she ran in the house, grabbed a bucket, and ran for the trade centers after they collapsed. She spent many days there helping as a volunteer. She said the smell was horrendous. Many people got sick, including her, throwing up this ashy substance that felt and itched and burned as she described it. She later left for Florida for a complete detox. It's unfortunate that I don't have her information anymore. I'd like to see how she's doing. What's interesting is that many of those who were there that day and days after and many days after, how did that affect them? As some got sick and ill and passed away from the fumes that were ingested, we'll continue to reflect on this day, September 11, 2001. More with Kirby and more stories from you and those that were there that day. You're listening to U.S. Phenomenon with your host, Mario Magana. You're listening to U.S. Phenomenon. Welcome back to U.S. Phenomenon. Tonight, we look back at what happened to us 20 years ago, September 11th, 2001. Our guest tonight is Kirby Wilbur, who was... Working that morning on our flagship station, KVI. Kirby, let's continue our conversation and what you and Carlene saw that morning. Three minutes after the hour. And she wondered what she should lead with. And I said, well, we with plane crash, but don't call it terrorism. Well, when we saw the second plane hit, I looked at her and said, you can call it terrorism now. Because it's not a coincidence that two planes struck the World Trade Center. And so we covered it a little bit, and then we went to network coverage, the guys in New York, and that's when you heard the, you know, horrible, you, you heard the sirens, you heard the background, you heard people saying not knowing what it was, but it was obviously terrorism, and I immediately thought of Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. Uh, it was my job to stay up on the news. I knew who they were. I knew what they had done. The USS Cole, the embassy bombings understood terrorism and this would be a logical thing for them to do from their point of view 
And so I speculated on the air that uh, it was probably Islamic terrorist Al-Qaeda. And we talked about it. And then we would keep breaking into the network for their coverage <clears throat> because they were right there. We would come back and Seattle reacted um, somewhat similarly. They had a number of, they evacuated some of the taller buildings. And, and, you know, that was going on. So we were put on that, but we started going back to the network because they were in New York. And after about the seven o'clock news, we just went straight to the network. Kirby, let's listen to the chief battalion that was working that day. Audio courtesy of ABC News. Chief Joe Pfeiffer has been with the FDNY since he was 25, a young man from Queens. He had no idea a day would come on the job that would change everything. A camera capturing his reaction that morning. A documentary crew, by coincidence, was following firefighters that day. The No Day film, later called 9-11. I remember 9-11 exactly. We heard this loud noise of a plane coming overhead, which you never hear in, in Manhattan. And then I saw the first plane aim and crash into the World Trade Center. And at that moment, I knew I was going to the, the largest incident of my life. And in that moment, the sky changed from that clear blue day. It went from this beautiful, bright summer day to darkness. As a matter of fact, at one point, after the collapse, you can even see the hand in front of your face. He was the first battalion fire chief to arrive and enter the North Tower. He heard the fire was above the 78th floor. He would order the team to head up. That team he would send up would include his brother, Lieutenant Kevin Pfeiffer. We looked at each other, wondering if we're both going to be okay. And as he turned around and took his firefighters, that was the last time I saw my brother Kevin. Did Kevin say anything to you? No, but we didn't have to. We knew we were worried about each other. The chief shows me one of the dispatch call slips from that morning. You see the date, September the 11th, 2001. And it says right here on the ticket that this one went out at 9.08. Correct, so at that point, we were calling multiple fifth alarms. So we were bringing almost a thousand people to the World Trade Center. Ever since, he has worked to build the fire department's counterterrorism efforts and preparedness. His coat and helmet on display at the Smithsonian and elsewhere around the country. And on the far right there behind the helmet, that's his brother's fire tool that was recovered. It was right beside him where he was found on the ninth floor. He started to come down. He heard my message to evacuate the building. And then he stopped on the ninth floor and to re redirect firefighters from one stairs to a safer stairs. So he was able to get other firefighters out? So he out. got other firefighters out. And you weren't surprised by that? Not at all. Now, 37 years after joining the FDNY, he retires, and where else but in Queens, instead of chasing fires, chasing his granddaughter, and sailing, something he loved doing with his brother. He's just gonna be carrying on his his memories. He'll be there in spirit. Be there in spirit and, um, and, and and good memories. The last fire chief to respond to the World Trade Center that fateful morning, now going home. Well, chief, thank you. We're proud of you and thank you for your service. Thank you. That is David, ABC News, David Mural, audio courtesy of ABC. We salute Chief Pfeiffer and all of those first responders that were there at the World Trade Center. Uh, Kirby, as you were saying, you believe that this was a, an attack. Because after the second plane crash, after the 
Pentagon was attacked after the United United Flight 93 crashed in the field of Pennsylvania. This was the biggest story way beyond us. And so we went right to the network, and I stayed behind to kind of monitor what was going on so I would know what was going on. Um, that day happened to be on my first day of teaching at a homeschool co-op out in Snohomish called a Family Academy. It's my first day, and I was teaching a class on a little history. And I prepared my lesson for that first day, but I went out to class and said, okay, um, we're going to forget this lesson because we want to talk about what's happening now. Let's take a listen to the phone calls from 9-11 from people that were trapped inside the towers. This audio courtesy of 9-11 documentary, Real Truth History. Uh, obviously a pretty scary experience. I saw a guy fall out of probably the 91st story all the way down. Okay. Now you can stay on the line with me. I just want to let you know I love you and I'm stuck in this building in New York. There's lots of smoke and he just wanted you to know that I love you always. My dog, Coco, wakes me up somewhere approximately 5.30 in the morning and wants to go for a walk. So at 5.30 in the morning, I get out of bed, brush my teeth, throw some water on my face. We walk through the woods for half an hour, 40 minutes. I say a little prayer uh, every single day and talk to Melissa. So it's just, I, I know she's there. I know she's listening to me. I was the last person from the outside world that she spoke to. I'll always remember that. When you fall asleep sometimes at night and you close your eyes, you can just see her face there saying, Dad, I love you. She was only going to be there that Tuesday when the merger was done. She was flying back to California the next day. found nothing of Jim. He was completely destroyed. So the fact that I'd spoken to him means so much to me. I think that the healing process is ongoing. It's important to let people know what families of 9-11 have been experiencing, what we've been going through, what we've gone through. We still have those memories that we don't want anybody to ever forget. Audio courtesy of the 9-11 phone calls of people that were trapped inside the towers September 11th, 2001. Kirby, I know you were teaching a history class that day. Uh, Continue explaining what you were going through on your diverted lesson plans here. We want to talk about what happened this morning and what it means and what Islamic terrorism is. And so I spent the hour of class talking about Bin Laden, Al-Qaeda, what they did in the past, what motivated Islamic terrorists and rest. And then I went home and I just sat in front of the TV and was horrified as everyone else was when uh, we saw the reports from the Pentagon, saw the reports from Pennsylvania, um, heard the reports that was going to New York City and, you know, saw the buildings crumble 
and the thought of how many thousands of dead there must be. Uh, it was it was a terrific day that's permanently right there in my head. I'll never forget it, and we shouldn't ever forget it. Our guest, Kirby Wilbur, who was working that morning, September 11, 2001. Let's continue listening to some of the audio of some of the victims who left phone messages or called loved ones as they were trapped in the Twin Towers on September 11, 2001. To be able to have the uh, the nine one one audio was really very important. The most uh, emotional, poignant moment for me is when he asked him, "Please hurry," and thank you. To be able to have that uh, presence uh, of mind uh, under pressure like that, I thought was just remarkable. I was really proud of him. I mean, he, to be able to keep that cool and request, please hurry. I think that was his last words. The sonic record of that day, the audible record of that day, is essential because the visual record of that day is limited to the exteriors. What we see with our eyes are two buildings in flames. And these calls and these radio transmissions, they show us through sound what we couldn't see with our eyes. They're part of the fabric of the day that we wouldn't know or have any understanding of without this sonic record. That is so true. That day, as we all watch the TV, this piece here gives us what was missing that day. Sure, we saw people jump to their death due to the fire and hell that they were experiencing. But this here gives us an audio picture of what was really going on inside. Uh, Kirby Wilbur, uh, thank you uh, for patiently hanging out with us tonight. Let's continue our conversation. 
I would tell them to remember two things. One, there are people in the United States, there are people in the world, excuse me, there are people in the world who hate the United States and are always plotting harm, our downfall, what they need to hurt us. There are always people there. Uh, Mario, that was after the Cold War, when the Soviet Union basically lost the Cold War in the late 80s, early 90s. There was this breath of relief, this, this rush among many people in America that, okay, communism was gone. We won. Closed more until now. Right. I can remember reading articles in Time Magazine about what's the CIA going to do now because the Russians are gone, the communists are gone, there's no threats in the world anymore. Not true. And I thought that was very um, wrong-headed. It was very unrealistic to think that just because we won the Cold War, nobody hated America, nobody planned our downfall anymore. And I think 9-11 was a reminder of that, and we need to always keep our guard up. We need always to remember that there are people that hate us for whatever reason and wish us harm. Yes, tonight, Kirby Wilbur, thank you so much for taking the time this evening to hang out with us. Let's continue listening to some of these audio stories from those who were trapped in the Twin Towers. I went to work soon after he did, and my office is very close to our apartment, so I just walked the few blocks. When I got there, there was a message light blinking, and I listened to the machine right away. And that was, I didn't even know what that meant. I listened to the message actually several times because I wasn't really sure what he was saying. I couldn't believe what he was saying. Just a minute later, I spoke to him. Unlike the message on the machine, which sounded frantic, when I first spoke to him, he sounded very calm, very controlled. He said to me, I'm going to be okay. You know, there's a fire, but I'm going to be okay. And he said, he was, I said, stay down low. I mean, right? What we learned, stay down low if there's a fire. And he stayed down low, and he was hiding behind a desk, and he was trying to call for help, and he had no idea what was going on. It was very unusual that people outside had almost a greater sense of alarm and urgency than the people inside who were in the dark. Families were seeing the billowing smoke and the flames licking up the side of the building. It was just a terrible responsibility for the people on the outside to have to say, it's worse than you think. Kirby, what do you think is the most important lesson here? That's the most important lesson we can learn because as we went back, and studied what happened and what led up to 9-11, it became very apparent that there were always these indicators and signs that something was going on, and we were asleep. The intelligence agencies didn't follow up or didn't cooperate like they should have. Uh, there were a lot of things that led to 9-11. Not that 9-11 could have been prevented necessarily, but there were warning signs that had we listened to, had we analyzed properly, had we acted on, it's very possible 9-11 might not have happened. It would have been something else or somewhere else. But it's possible. I think that's important. So we need to understand there will always be people that hate us and there's evil in the world. A lot of people don't understand evil. I can't think of anything more evil than 19 young fanatics willing to die for their God 
and take thousands of innocent people with them, people who simply went to work that day and ended up 90 stories above the, the, the streets of New York having to face a choice, stay where they are and burn alive with jet fuel or jump 90 stories and end your own life. I can't imagine being in that position. And people that will put others in that position are evil. And so the idea that evil exists and are people that hate this country and wish to do us harm, that's the most important lesson. I think it's one we've forgotten. I, I suspect there are many people that think, oh, we got Bin Laden and he recovered and why live in the past? Um, but there are things that happen in history that we have to remember so we don't repeat them. So it doesn't happen again. And that's, that's the biggest lesson I think we need to take. And I, I don't know that we have. I, the one thing that I, I my takeaway on that day was I remember that it didn't matter if you're a Republican or Democrat. I just remember everyone was American that day and the days right. after. And I miss those days. Um, we were all I brought together. Uh, I remember the members of Congress singing God bless America on the steps of the Capitol. Uh, there was a, there was a unity about going to Afghanistan and the mission of getting bin Laden. Uh, that all, you know, fell apart later, but there was, uh, you know, it was 90% of the polls that we had to get bin Laden, had to get Al-Qaeda, up, and there was unity in this country. Man, uh, I, I get chills talking about that. I get chills thinking about the, how we I were all, Because um, it shows what we can do if we're a united people. It shows what can yeah. be done. And I just, uh, I miss those days. Mm -hmm. But it's a day I'll never forget. It's a day we should never forget. Hey, Mom, it's Brad. Uh, just wanted to call and let you know. I'm sure that you heard that a plane crashed into World Trade Center 1. We're fine. We're in World Trade Center 2. I'm uh, obviously a lot well over here, but uh, obviously a pretty scary experience. I saw a guy fall out of probably the 91st story all the way down. So <clears throat> you're welcome to give a call here. I think uh, we'll be here all day, but... Uh, Give me a call back later. Love you. Audio courtesy of the 9-11 phone calls from people trapped in the Twin Towers. The documentary 9-11 Real Truth History. Kirby, I appreciate your time this evening uh, hanging out with us on this late evening uh, for you. Uh, thank you. you. Our guest, Kirby Wilbur. Thank you very much for your time this evening. Thanks, Ryan. God bless. God bless uh -huh. you. Thank you, Kirby Wilbur, for hanging out with us this evening. And I'd like to thank you for listening and being a part of the show, our tribute show to 9-11. Let's not forget those that we lost that day 20 years ago on September 11th. In all, 2,977, not including the 19 hijackers. 265 on board all four planes. 2,606 in the World Trade Centers. 125 we lost at the Pentagon. First responders we lost on 9-11. 343 firefighters from New York City. 37 police officers from the Port Authorities of New York City and the New Jersey Police Department. 23 police officers from New York City. Eight emergency medical technicians. Three New York State officers one patrolman from New York, Fire Patrol. As we wrap things up from the Pacific Northwest, I'd like to thank you for listening this evening. 
I'd like to thank our affiliates, KOSW, KGRG, KAPY, and our flagship station, KVI. For my entire staff, Jay Middleton, Jeff Jen, Sophia Magania, and myself, Mario Magania, remember to look up at the sky, because you never know what you might see. Good night. You're listening to U.S. Phenomenon with your host, Mario Magana.